population of Ukraine um, and killing civilians, killing children in town squares and city squares, now far away from anything that could conceivably be considered a military target. Um, there was already re reports in Russian Telegram with videos from Vinitsa claiming that these are the sites of a successful Russian strike against the military base. A military base, what, with, with monuments and, uh, and, and statues and the theater in the middle of it and roadside, adver and roadside advertisements in a military base, sure. Um, just just um, unspeakable, really. Peace for Ukraine. Yeah, they are continuing to pile up on their war crimes. What um, what they do, what they do not understand is that well, today there's 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 today there's a conference that actually is tackling the matter, is putting out the matter, is pressing the matter with the ICC, uh, which is the International Criminal Court. If you if you want to go for the full name, um, plus not only they are adding to the war crimes. Um, what the only thing that this accomplished beside death and destruction of innocent civilians, which is uh, among uh, among of the very serious and very grave and very abominable. Uh, outrageous war crimes they are just basically this only achieves two things more determination on ukrainian people to fight them back and to kill them back and to blitzkrieg them back uh, to their own borders and additional support from the international community because uh, right now frankly speaking um, i don't want to hear anyone tell me well they're not all, all Russians are bad. Uh, I'm sorry, technical term, fuck that. Because uh, currently, I do not hear any Russian voice raising uh, hell against this to try to stop this. I do not see the so-called soldiers or army only spread terror and destruction in Ukraine to put down their arms and go back to their country to stop this to stop butchering and murdering ancient civilians so these type of attacks only accomplish these two goals it, it, it causes death and destruction but it reinforces the sentiment among ukrainians and among international community that russia is a terrorist state that needs to be beaten humiliated contain, isolated completely from the international community because they have no place, no place among free countries, democratic countries, civilized countries who buy by laws of war. So that's the only goals they are going to, uh, to, to, to add. Any kind or any strike they are doing currently, it only adds to the extension of the years. They will be isolated until those dark souls are completely cleaned out of the darkness in themselves and it will take many generations. But frankly, I do not want to hear about, oh, they are not also bad. Fuck that. Sorry. Technical term. Thank you, Peace Free Um It is a bad faith argument that is being often made. By, by many, including in the West, saying, you know, not, not all Russians are bad, not all Russians want this. Well, what are they doing to try and stop it? Seemingly very little, right? 
Mike. Yeah, uh, good morning, or good afternoon, Doman. I'll tell you what, this is so infuriating. I mean, Russia is resorting to cowardly actions that result in intentional civilian deaths. We're talking about the second largest military force in the world. They have the ability to wage war against Ukraine's fighting force. But the cowards instead intentionally target civilian populations. It is just so morally bankrupt. Of course, I've seen Russian trolls already go online saying, blaming Ukraine for this, for using Hamas-like tactics of hiding hiding uh, military targets in the middle of civilian population centers. Another one celebrated the fact that Russia appears does, to not be uh, having a lack of missiles to, to, to bomb. I mean, they were celebrating. I, I, I just, I'm just beyond words, and the fury is uh, undescribable. But let's call it what it is, cowards targeting civilians rather than fighting a fight against opposing military targets. Anyway, thanks for giving me a chance to vent, Doman. Thank you, Mark. And quite, quite rightly so. Quite rightly so. Now, if you, if you look at what um, various Russian Telegram channels are, you know, reporting under the pictures and what people are commenting in Russia under the pictures of um, uh, a dead child in a stroller in the middle of Vinitsa, I'm, I'm not even going to, uh, going to read it now. But you know, when you have say, civilians in Russian Telegram channels celebrating the death of uh, Ukrainian kids, celebrating, nothing but celebrating, asking for more such strikes. I I really don't think that you can... If you you want to see what they're saying, go to uh, Olga's from Odessa, that is Oscar Domesticated Accountant. You can can see for yourself. I, I won't bear to read that out. Vega. Hi there. Uh, yeah, I mean, just to contribute to this, it's the, the arguments make absolute no sense. I mean, the, the level of of madness in within the within the Russian community in and of itself, but also all the pro-Russian groups around the world. And you see this. I mean, you see it not only on Telegram, but you see it all over the place. Particularly for whatever reason, there's groups of populations of the free world that support Russia and buy their Kool-Aid and buy the propaganda and spread the lie. I mean, if this argument that they say, well, they are using Hamas tactics, uh, hiding behind civilians, they say the Nazis are hiding behind civilians. Meanwhile, at the same time, whenever the the Ukrainians come out and, and advise the populations of certain areas to try to get out of the city because an offensive is being prepared, the same people who claim those things, they come out and say, these are scare tactics. They're trying to uh, instill fear in the population. Um, they, they complain, they lie about the strikes that are that, that occur. Um, you know, they initially with this whole thing in uh, Novokovka, um, first of all, it was uh, salpeter, then it was fertilizer, then eventually they, they, they acknowledge it. But what you can see immediately is that now that they're being very hard on very specific and uh, and strategic target. They're entering into a car- literal carpet bombing strategy of instilling terror in the population. And I, I can't remember who very 
appropriately uh, indicated that this is an attempt to make the population stop supporting the, the war effort. And um, uh, it, it's, it's just ridiculous. I can't grasp, I, I can't get my head around the fact that people around the world, not under the, the yoke of, of the Russian Federation, not in, in countries like, like China or, or other locations where the information is tightly controlled or, or Russia itself, but actually in our very own uh, home countries in, in Europe, in the United States, uh, in Canada, they, they actually have pretty strong support, believe it or not. And you see it in the political debate. They are equating that are just not equal. And they're making it as if it's it's actually a topic for conversation. And that, that blows my mind, the psychological aspect behind this and the fact that the people are not united against the horrors that are occurring, which is fundamental, an imperialistic expansion, genocide, uh, genocidal war of aggression on the side of, of Russia. They, Putin himself has clearly stated that Ukraine, in his own words, exists out of the grace of Russia and that the very identity of uh, Ukraine as a country uh, it's, uh, should cease to exist. I mean, you, you, you tell me. I mean, someone, someone tried to put that and they just tried to put justification and one argument after another, um, it, it makes absolute no sense. I really don't understand how the brains of these people are, are wired. Uh, I really can't get my head around. So no, I, I have no questions. It's, a, it's just a, a bit of a, a statement of what is coming out. It's, it's just senseless. So the only way, quite frankly, that I can see an end to, to, to this situation, it's with the complete defeat of Russia in the battlefield. And the only way to do that is by providing Ukraine and the Ukrainians and, and, and the people fighting on the ground and, and the volunteers to provide them with everything that we can, all the resources that we have. And, and those of us who maybe don't have military backgrounds or, or, or extensive resources, but to lend our voice and, and lend our time and make sure that this whole situation does not fade in the, in the news cycle um, uh, or it just blends in with conversations about inflation and, and, and other nonsense. So that's it, guys. Thank you, Mega. Um, and on the point of, uh, let's say, Russian disinformation operations, right? Um, we see a large number of literally Russian bots on Twitter uh, who, keep, who, who manage to post exactly the same phrases within you know, seconds or even fractions of seconds of one another from... Uh, you know, hundreds of different accounts in English or in other you know, non-Russian languages clearly aim for non-Russian consumption there as well. Um, Peter? Thank you, Doman. Uh, we should also be aware that uh, there are strategies available to the NATO and collective West countries to deter uh, these kinds of civilian attacks. Um, they should go on the record saying, uh, you know, we um, are going to increase our support for Ukraine if those uh, if such attacks are performed. And then when uh, one of these uh, terror bombings happens, they should say, well, we noted that and our response is to send, you know, 10 leopards. Uh, we noted that one. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be three more HIMARS and, and so forth. So sort of tit for tat show that uh, this is not weakening Ukraine's position, it's, in, it's strengthening it. And um, the Russians are 
at times stupid, but they are also capable of adapting. And if that is the consequence of their terror bombing, they will stop doing it. Yeah, and maybe more publicly, um, maybe more 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 publicly, uh, uh, you know, not not just not just condemn the attacks, but you know, say you know this is this is what happens when attacks happen. They're, this is why more stuff is being sent to Ukraine because Russians are hitting civilians, right? Maybe, maybe, and maybe even more targeted, right? NASAMs and, and, and the like, right? And more anti-air defenses. Okay, I think I've accidentally removed uh, Peter from the space. I shall be fixing that momentarily. Sorry, just need to do that real quick. Um, okay, I think I fixed it. Uh, let's go on to uh, Canberra. Canberra, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so just coming back to what I was saying before, I, I, I mentioned a bunch of events like uh, Occupy Wall Street, um, the Tea Party protests, Yellow Vest protests, Brexit, Black Lives Matter. We know that these sorts of groups were targeted by uh, Russian intelligence activists. Um, uh, and the key thing they all have in common, or particularly the thing that, that Russia preyed upon, even if it wasn't inherent in the movements themselves, was the um, uh, that they tried to turn each of these movements into a movement of victim mentality. And then what they seek to do later on, after they've bound these groups together in some sort of conflict, is to appeal to those groups to say, you know, Russia is also a victim. And you can see this in how they interact with emerging nations or, you know, ex-colonial nations, because, of course, Russia is an empire, uh, and yet it seems to portray itself as, you know, the friend of ex-colonial nations. Um, and, uh, you know, what it does is it appeals to extremes by portraying themselves as the victim, no matter how bullying its behaviour is. So, and, and what it's seeking to do all the time and you could see this in how how the Syrian conflict, you know, uh, uh, unravelled. It diverts its, its attention, uh, the attention away from from the real victim, by portraying themselves as the victim. And what our constant battle is is to uh, ensure that the world understands that the real victim of of all of these actions is Ukraine. Even you know to the point where the soldiers of the Ukrainian army. They, that's an incredible sacrifice that they um, are, are, are undertaking, even if they are war combatants. You know, they they are basically um, putting themselves, their own lives on the line for their, for their nation and for their families. Um, and uh, every time there's discussion of, arms trades or this sort of thing, any any sort of assistance that Ukraine gets from overseas, from outside its borders, it's portrayed, you know, that what Russia will try and do is say that is Russia being victimised. Uh, and the, the narrative always has to be uh, steered back towards the fact that it's not, you know, Russia is the invader and they are you know, and and Ukraine is the victim, but they are an empowered victim, and 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 that's quite dangerous for imperialistic regimes to know that there is a there is a, a a nation of people that are standing together, and they are standing up to an empirical bully or a hegemonic bully, and or you know, 
constantly what we've got to try and steer ourselves, you know, that the, the, the risk is in the, in, in the attempt to try and boost morale that when there's one uh, uh, sort of incident of victory, we, we get triumphalistic, and which is fair enough because we've got to maintain morale amongst the community. But at every time we do that, we must be reminding the entire world that there, there are people have had to sacrifice themselves for Ukraine to even be in the position to be in the fight. So when we're talking about HIMARS, you know, and it's high-precision technology, because, of course, Russia's going to create the narrative that, you know, they're the victim of the entire West, you know, that the pushback has to be, well, this was what was required because otherwise, you know, a, 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 a whole nation of people is at risk if there's not any sort of intervention. Um, and, and I just feel that sometimes uh, that, that, you know, th- th- this message in, in every victory needs to be every tagline and every time Ukraine wins something, whether it's pushing the Russians out of Kiev or, you know, pushing them out of um, uh, Kharkiv province or, or, you know, if there is a counterattack and curse on the whole time, we have to be reminding the world that this is Ukrainians putting their lives on the line, you know, to save their own nation. Um, that's kind of concludes the point that I was I was at with Adrian, I think, before um, uh, we, we had our other guests in as well. Thanks. Thank you, Tanper. And, and you can see now how Russians and Russian social media groups and Russian disinformation campaigns are, you know, turning all of these excellent Ukrainian successes with newly delivered Western technology in places like Kherson and Novokhokovka, right, uh, into, oh, no, it was just a storage of fertilizer that went up and made. No, and we know why they're responding, and we know why they're sending cruise missiles against civilians in central and western Ukraine now, right? They're doing that because they have no other recourse, because they have no way of stopping Ukrainian high-mars strikes and Ukrainian airstrikes on... Um, uh, on, on on their ammo depots in eastern Ukraine and in Kherson Oblast and in Zaporizhia, right? They're doing that simply as a terror bombing campaign. They're doing that simply as the only thing that's left to them, killing civilians, causing terror by civilian population, because they know that they will lose militarily and they are losing on the battlefield. Mark? Yeah, well, I, I think the point is that one of the things that your, your other question was saying was well how come they can convince these you know gullible people to even when they're doing these unspeakable acts to bind in with their cause and the reason is because they have primed them they have primed them by you know in 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 the case of occupy wall street well it's you know it's it's the the capitalists are doing you over think mentality you know and in, in the tea party protests it's the extreme left wing of, of, you know, US politics is doing you over. In the Occupy, in, in the Yellow Vest protests, it's the, you know, the big hand of government stealing your money off you through fuel taxes. And they and what they're trying to do is that in democracies, they're trying to make people who actually have a say to feel like victims as though they don't have a say. And they're trying to, trying to get them to not turn up at the ballot sometimes. And other times they are trying to get them to turn up at the ballot to vote for their particular agents. But either way, the overall theme that they come back to when something like this happens is, well, we had to do this because we're up against the might 
of all of these NATO nations, you know, and it's very tied into this false narrative about how, you know, they only want to take, you know, they only want to invade Ukraine because they want to stop them joining NATO, which is a bullshit narrative. We know it's a bullshit narrative because Putin not only months, you know, weeks ago, basically said he wants to be Peter the Great who retakes all of this territory. So we know it's a lie, but the point is that they keep, this is the narrative that they put out to all of these groups and nations and and, and, and cultures where they have primed this narrative that, you know, uh, uh, they are victims and we are victims too against, you know, the almighty United States and, you know, uh, uh, NATO allies. And and we have to be, we have to understand that that is what they are driving all the time in a lot of these contexts and be pushing back and saying, no, the victim is Ukraine. They have been invaded, you know, and every, and, and, and they are trying to recreate an empire and they are not, you know, so we, we talk about somebody said they're the second or second largest army in the world. They're not, they're the third, they're third largest military power because US is first, China second, you know, Russia's probably third, but, you know, in, in a few years' time it might be, they might be running up against Saudi Arabia, I don't know. But, but the point is Russia has the world's largest landmass. They have the world's largest natural resources as a result of having that landmass. They have that large landmass because they are an empire. They have taken over vast territories of land on on their eastern side that really, you know, have no no cognizant nationality or you know national identity with Russia. But they've managed to cobble it together and they've managed to maintain it through their you know through you know a, a couple of centuries at least. Um, at, at the point is that they have all of that power and what they're seeking to do is deny the rest of the world the ability to diversify their resource generation by uh, cutting off other lines of supply. And it's just, I mean, it's just so ironic that in given that position of power, a lot of these groups of extremists and a lot of these polemicists and a lot of these commentators don't understand the degree of natural power they have with the state that they already have. They don't need any more state to have any more power. The only reason they don't have more economic power is because they are such a corrupt nation. Yeah, they're a purely extractive economy, right? An extractive economy that just takes stuff out of the ground, sells it onwards because there's the easiest stuff to then redivert and pocket and make into yachts and Swiss bank accounts and the like, right? Anything that's more complex requires actual investment and actual know-how. And then all of your, uh, uh, let's say, establishes a stronger middle class because all of your knowledge economy workers, all of your engineers, all of your skilled workers, all of those then need to be paid more and also become, you know, much more politically aware. Um, All the while, they keep bigging up the extremes, the political extremes in the West, right, both on the far left and the far right, and making them stronger, just as we were discussing earlier in the case of France specifically, right, Uh, pushing conspiracy theories on the left and the right, on the left playing up the Soviet history and, you know, claiming all of the Soviet history for a start, uh, making themselves as kind of the... the, uh, the torch bearers, the torch carriers, the standard bearers for the uh, history of communism and trying to get themselves uh, 
is supported by the various stop the war coalitions on the left and the, and the like and then on the right playing the cultural war from that side as well and kind of making themselves out the russians that is as some sort of standard bearers for the the white civilization quote unquote right and the standard bearers for the true uh, Western civilization, because the one, the other one, has been, let's say, corrupted in their words. Um, no, and and this is how they bring division into the Western societies, while at the same time playing up to the rest of the world. Is no, we're definitely not an empire. We didn't genocide 190 different ethnic groups over the course of being an empire over the course of centuries. And this is definitely not how we got to all of this land in which we now play extractive resources, right? And then in countries like France, we can very clearly see when uh, the the far left under Mélenchon and the far right under Le Pen both end up getting tons of votes uh, while actively and vocally supporting Putin right? and, and, and Putin's side. All the while... Russians have effectively, by their actions, not by words, but by their actions, admitted that they are not threatened at all by NATO because they went and invaded wholesale, wholescale, full-scale, a non-NATO member state, which they want to reintegrate into their empire, that is Ukraine, and wanted to uh, commit a you know, second or even third genocide of Ukrainians in the past century and a half. Um, just to uh, and, and and all the while removing troops from all of the NATO borders and all of the NATO to be borders, right? The garrisons around Pskov, around St. Petersburg, and Kamenka and Alakurti up in the north towards Murmansk and Murmansk itself. Those garrisons are heavily depleted. All those garrisons are within 100, 150, 200 kilometers of NATO or soon to be NATO in the case of Finland border. They're not threatened by NATO, they're full of shit. The only thing that NATO threatens them is. They will that they will no longer be able to go and invade their neighbors if their neighbors are in NATO. This is the only way that NATO actually threatens them. It threatens their imperial ambition. It threatens their genocidal ambition, and nothing else. And yet they play the victim somehow while launching missiles in onto city squares in Vinica today, um, no, killing dozens of civilians, many children among them. Uh, because somehow they, they've managed to persuade themselves and managed to persuade a sufficiently large chunk of people elsewhere that they're just doing that because they're threatened by the West. That's why they are forced into going and committing genocide in Ukraine. Uh, Mark, please go ahead. Yes, thank you again, Doman. You know, it strikes me uh, about the timing of this deliberate uh, missile attack on a civilian population center. I don't think it's it's by accident. I mean, let's face it. it, it Russia does not have a, a, an alternative answer to take care of the high, high Mar, Mars missiles. They've lost their invincibility narrative on that. They have no answer. They no longer, at least temporarily, can't wage war along the, its front lines because it, it doesn't have any artillery there yet through its sheer military incompetence. So to regain the narrative of their invincibility, the only thing they have left is to send cruise missiles against offensive civilian populations in a city center in broad daylight. It, it, it is just astounding on how morally bankrupt it is. It, it, and just a second comment. I, uh, I've I've understood the narrative of the U.S. and the Western powers not to not necessarily immediately send in advanced West, uh, weapon systems into Ukraine for 
fear of provoking Russia to do in some indescribable harm. I mean, I, I don't buy into it. I understand. But I think today's like the perfect day for for the West to say, fine, you want to you want to deliberately target a city square in broad daylight. We're going to start sending a Patriot missiles battle uh, batteries. We know it'll take six months or however long to train and bring the systems in and everything like that. The Ukrainians are going to need those Patriot missile batteries six months from now as, as much as they need it now. But fine, Russia, you want to escalate this? You want to take it to this level? You want to send cruise missiles to target civilian populations? Well, here's our answer. And you're not a victim here. It's your own damn fault. Um, yeah. So anyway. That's what my thoughts. It just—it's just, it just a, really a rough way to, to start the morning. But uh, I'm—I'm I'm glad you're—you're you're there moderating to keep the uh, conversation somewhat civil, Doman. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. And you know, this is the—this is the perfect time to say send the Takums to Ukraine, right? Send plenty of them, and uh, have them hit the port of Sevastopol with the Takums. Right? They're within range. Within range of uh, Mikolaev from from you know from from Mikolaev to Sevastopol, just um, destroy that port. Destroy that port. It's been reloading the Shviasks and the, the Kilo subs uh, with caliber cruise missiles and make sure they just can't reload there anymore ever again. Right? Yeah. I know it will be a big infrastructure problem later on, but hey, that's fine. We'll deal with it after the war. You know that's perfect, Doman. That's that's perfect. That's the perfect way to respond to this. Take on the port, you know. Take out the 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 uh, the Russian fleet headquarters there. I mean, just yeah. There needs to be an a retaliation ex, ex, exploratory response to this. Um, and that port, you're absolutely right, is is the perfect thing. Um, yeah, well done, Doman. Thank. You. Well, not just about the port, it's about the attackers, right? Get get a few dozen of those in, um, and then a few dozen next week, and a few dozen the week after, and um, you know the the Russian cap- capacity to do this and uh, to do this further will be depleted. Vega, Vega, Aldemira, okay, maybe he's lost a little bit, a little bit. Um, Raver. Hey, good morning, Domin. So uh, besides sending the attackums, uh, we really need to start declaring Russia a terrorist state so that we get those knock-on downstream economic effects against those who are still trading with Russia so that we start to force the hand of countries like Germany and India and saying, look, if you want access to our markets, you need to stop this. Exactly. Absolutely. And this is where, you know, this is something that the U.S. can do basically on its own, right? And between the U.S. and Europe, these are the big economies. These are the large markets, right? The U.S., the EU, and then other states that are, uh, you know, well in the Western lines, uh, basically the, the rest of the five eyes that are in the U.S., right? The U.K., Canada, Australia, also New Zealand. You know, be- between the lot of these, this is where the money is to be made. And declaring Russia a terrorist state, whatever, as you said, you know, formally declaring them a, a state sponsor of terrorism, which are not just a sponsor, they are the state uh, launcher of terrorism, right? Um, uh, that would make make it possible for uh, these Western countries, and for example, the U.S. State Department, to say you, such and such company in, say, China or India or wherever else, you have a choice to make now. Either you're going to 
trade with Russians or you're going to trade with the rest of the West. Um, it's up to you, but you know where your bread is buttered and you know that's not in Russia. So um, that would indeed you know, be, a, be a major difference maker here. Um, Vega, let's try again. Otherwise, I'll, I think I'll drop you because I think your audio is gone. Okay. Nope. Shipyard. Yeah, so I've, um, I was tagged in something about an hour and a half ago, which I found quite funny, and, you know, I'd like to share it. So that the Russians apparently shot down an SU-35, that's on their own team, with a SA-29 Sivstware missile near Mikolaev, I believe it is. Sorry, let me correct that, uh, SA-23. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's good. I, I am all up for uh, that sort of use of, um, uh, of Russian anti-air systems, right? Uh, I'm very happy when Russians and when Russian anti-air systems hit uh, uh, hit Russian targets, uh, and uh, that's that's fine. I'm I'm always very very happy with those. That's a very good use of uh, Russian anti-air systems. I have to say, uh, more of those, please. Uh, let's go on to mostly Cossack canine. Um, yeah, so I was wondering what, about what you just said uh, about the possibility of. Uh, now the Ukrainians hitting Sevastopol. I understand they have the uh, the ability to do that at the moment, but um, they haven't done so far because of uh, possibility of uh, civilian collateral uh, damage casualties. Um, does that calculus change now after this more and more Russian terror attacks on? civilian targets miles and miles away from the front line um yeah what, what do you think so it's not really um um i don't think it's really that it's more a question of what um, munitions let's say uh ukraine has right i think it's primarily a situation of if ukraine gets attackums attackums are super precise missiles they can very reliably, very precisely hit right in the middle of the port and not hit anything else accidentally. Um, harpoons, if my understanding is correct, have a bit of a problem in that uh, they are meant for the open sea. And there's a big difference between the ship and water around it. So if you're trying to use a harpoon in the open sea against ships, that's relatively straightforward in the sense that it's the only, the only thing around that is a ship, right? Um, Whereas launching them at, say, the port of Sevastopol, there will suddenly be many targets and there's a possibility it might go for a large building somewhere as opposed to, as opposed to the target. Um, but this is just one more in the line of excellent arguments of why Ukraine should be provided with uh, attackums or atacams or however you wish to pronounce them, um, large missiles. Uh, that, that, that would be um, you know, the, best, the best situation uh, for Ukraine, absolutely. Enabling Ukrainians to hit, um, um, uh, enabling Ukrainians to be uh, able to strike, you know, way behind Russian energy, uh, way behind Russian front lines, hundreds of kilometers behind Russian front lines, and take their capacity to keep launching missiles, for example, right, and to and uh, getting missiles up on. Uh, on those ships, on those submarines, restocking them with these caliber cruise missiles specifically uh, by, by a great, by, by a massive degree. Uh, mostly Cossack? Um, yeah, I, I, um, I, I that's great. Yeah, they, I absolutely agree. They, they, they need them uh, 
as many as possible as quickly as possible. But I, I had thought that um, from what uh, uh, from what um, Gunny had said previously that it was hard, even with uh, munitions with the range and the precision, that because of the way it's configured, it's very hard to to hit those uh, the harbour without actually uh, without actually destroying civilian uh, infrastructure as well. But um, but yeah, uh, I can see that it would be um, really valid in this situation to to do it anyway because every day they're they're using that port to um, to launch um, weapons against civilians. So it's understandable if they. Uh, if they do it anyway, I think. But um, yeah, there was another thing uh, I saw, which was um, uh, a Russian who apparently was trying to heat up his lunch and um, managed to blow up his own uh, personnel carrier. I don't, I, it's uh, it was interviewed. It's uh, in Russian, but I, I don't know if anyone else saw that or if it was actually true. But apparently, he seems to have managed to destroy his uh, his own vehicle whilst heating his lunch up. Anyway. Yeah, I didn't have a, a chance to look into it uh, better. Uh, Shabir? Yeah, so just to give you a quick heads up, if you try to reload your Twitter, don't, because I think Twitter just crashed. So however long this lasts, might last, but just don't reset it, because I've just checked five different systems for Twitter, and Twitter does not want to work. Yeah, uh, I'm just talking to Imperius about this on the on the back lines. Um, stay in the space. Don't go out of the space <laughs> because I think the, the the space will be prioritized by Twitter service systems, which seem to be lightly overloaded in uh, in lots of places around the world. So just hang around here with us um, and uh, don't go anywhere because uh, don't try to go anywhere. We'll we'll let you know when the coast is clear. I'll, I'll have Imperius let me know when uh, it's uh, it's all back up. Uh, Rafer. Yeah, dealing with the dish that blew up his own personnel carrier, it looks, you know, I don't, I don't read Russian, I had to go off the translations, but it looks like he was trying to build a fire and set off his own RPG launcher and blew his own vehicle up. And he, he was all hangdog trying to wave the smoke out from underneath the RPG tube. It um, was that's, that's old footage. Sorry, so, 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 sorry to cut in, but that is old footage. It's before <laughs> February. Um, I think it was like 2018, maybe. Um, but yeah, that is old footage. It's still fucking um, hilarious, but yeah, it's still it's still Benny Hill level comedy. Yeah, yeah. Imperius confirms uh, likewise that this is old footage uh, from before the invasion. Still funny, Braver. What we have? You? Oh, actually, Cryptoros, did you just come up to to comment on this or, or something else? Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to get in there quickly before because I don't want I, I don't want this group to get accused of spreading false information or anything. So I just wanted to add that. No, thank you, Cryptoros. See, this is what I think we're really good at, right? We're this uh, excellent bubble of the internet uh, that actually cares about what, what's true and what isn't, uh, and also what that doesn't doesn't care to spread misinformation. And thank you very much, Cryptoros. Raver, no while, we, while we have you here, I have a question for you, which was asked to me by a, by a listener earlier today while you were still asleep, and I didn't really know how to answer best. Um, but I thought to ask you, the question was, what makes an Abrams the best tank, and is an Abrams the best tank? So as an American, yes, the Abrams is the best tank. So what makes the Abrams the best tank? Uh, honestly, it's the fact that the crew has has 
got an average service life of like eight years. They know those tanks inside and out. They know their tactics inside and out. Um, because of the way the U.S. Army structures its movements, uh, personnel, they know each other inside other units. So the NCOs know the NCOs and other units so they can merge and work together because they trust each other. And then after that, uh, you get into the fact that the, the 120 millimeter gun just got a new round called the M29A4 that is designed specifically to defeat the latest Russian ERA-protected uh, T-90s uh, so it can both uh, penetrate the armor and resist the shear induced by the ERA. It's got the latest generation of uh, FLIR technology and digital fire control. It, it does atmospheric sensors, wind speed sensors, uh, laser range finders. Uh, it's got active protection system. It's got uh, phenomenal protection itself, although there are other tanks that have better side protection. It's very, very quiet. It's very, very fast for a tank of its weight. Um, it's got lots of machine guns to deal with infantry. It's got good radios and data management systems so Abrams can talk to each other and other systems on the battlefield so that they know where each other are so that if uh, you know, uh, the platoon over there reports sighting T-90s or T-72s or enemy infantry or whatever it is, that information is instantly transmitted over data links to other Abrams who can then be on alert, engage it from a better angle, uh, or, you know, coordinate uh, the response to the threat. Uh, there's a lot of them. Uh, quantity has a quality all of its own, and these are all, you know, top-shelf kit, and the U.S. has a lot of them. Uh, so, yeah, the Abrams is the best, and it, it's demonstrably uh, the best when you add all of the various factors in. So just a public announcement, don't leave the space because you might not be able to get back into it because Twitter is still having massive server problems and somehow we're still up and talking. Um, Raver, how does a how does an Abrams compare to a Leopard 2 or Challenger 2, you know, so the, the major tanks used in Europe by other NATO armies? What are the sort of benefits and, and drawbacks relative to one another? Okay, again, say like the Leopard uh, 2A7M+, Plus, which I think is their latest version. The the Leopard will have the longer gun, higher velocity gun, but the, the Germans have an aversion to using DU shells, and so I would still give gun power, uh, you know, where it matters uh, to the Abrams. The optics and fire control and protection are all going to be, you know, roughly... Uh, equivalent. The Germans use a, a different armor scheme, but you know both both nations are going all out uh, for, for crew protection because crews are considered to be long-serving and extremely valuable and expensive assets in their own right. Uh, the big difference is the uh, there's a lot more Abrams. The Germans probably have the better motor. I really like that German diesel. It's not as quiet as, as the Abrams turbine, but it's a little bit more fuel efficient and it's got all the power you need. Uh, so I'll give that to the Abrams. The Challenger 2 circa, you know, 2000 was as good as any of them, um, but it's starting to get long in the tooth and the British government has not really invested in keeping it current. Is it still better than Russian tanks? Yes. Um, is it one of the big three anymore? Probably not. It's probably dropped down to, to second tier along the lines of like the Merkava 4, which suffers from some weird armor schemes and slow speed or the, the Leclerc that's got a three-man crew and you know my aversion to that whole system. 
So uh, Abrams and Leopard probably have the top spot right now. Oh, and then the the Chally Two still uses a rifled gun. Um, they they were talking about converting it to the the 120 smoothbore, but that never went anywhere. And that has its own uh, limitations, and it fires two piece ammunition, which li uh, limits penetrator length. So top two Abrams and Leopard, uh, your other NATO tanks, you know the Chally Twos, the Leclercs, the Ureets. Those are going to be, you know, the Japanese T uh, Type 90s. Those are going to be your, your Tier 2 and then everything else. And, River, what would you prefer to have um, going in, uh, you know, into Ukraine in great numbers? Say 300 Leopard 2s or 300 Abrams? Uh, so we're probably talking export models now. So, say, Leopard 2A4 versus M1A1. Uh, given Ukraine's uh, supply issues and fuel shortages and things like that, um, probably the Leopard 2 because you don't you can run an uh, Abrams on diesel. It's got a multi-fuel engine. JP8 is only used to standardize fuel across all the different platforms in the U.S. military. But it's easier for Ukraine to not have to, to worry about it and just run basically commercial diesel in the Leopards. Uh, plus, there's going to be German technicians a whole lot closer than there are American technicians. I mean, Rheinmetall. Your, your source of uh, spares and parts is not that far away from Ukraine. Right, makes sense. Thank you, Ravir. Uh, Canberra. Um, so I think the main issue is going to be whether any – it's not going to be about whether a tank can outcompete another tank because I'm not sure there's going to be too many tank-on-tank -tank battles. The issue is going to be whether a tank can bear an RPG hit, isn't it? Um, I'm not, obviously, I'm pretty naive to this stuff, but, but what what – Ukraine requires is armoured vehicles and they require them very quickly to take advantage of the losses they've suffered in Donbass, which have absorbed all of the Russian material and, and, and arms, and they need to be able to take advantage of that. And they can't unless they get enough armoured vehicles on the ground in places like Kherson. Uh, and they're not going to be facing really, you know, well, apparently they're going to be facing things like T-62s and T-34s. So it's not going to be whether it's the the top tier versus the second tier. It's going to be worth, you know, whether it can just simply sustain a hit from something like a rocket-propelled grenade. Um, and, and what they need is volume and they need speed of delivery because they have sacrificed so much in, in those uh, high-conflict areas like the Donbass and they need to be, have... The equipment on the ground right now to take advantage of it so it's kind of not so much what it is but how fast it's delivered at the moment i would have thought but uh obviously not an expert in this area thanks River? yeah so he's right to an, a point that is probably not going to be a whole lot of tank on tank although there's going to be a lot more of it than i think people are aware of but tanks operate as a system unsupported tanks die uh, tanks are there to do two things. One, uh, give, provide the infantry with direct fire support. And two, once a hole is opened up, get into the enemy's rear and uh, start uh, smashing stuff. That's what they do best. Killing trucks, killing artillery, killing command posts, uh, American or, or whatever divisions uh, when they're doing a breakout is, is lethality in motion. But as to RPGs, um, modern ERAs and, uh, slat armors and stuff like that are actually really good against RPGs, which is why everybody's gone to, to newer generation systems like the MLA, the Javelin, 
the RPG-29. The old RPG-7s just are not that effective anymore against uh, up-armored battle tanks. Uh, they can still kill bimps and BTRs and trucks and stuff like that, but you're not going to stop a, an armored assault with an RPG-7V. Denver? Yeah, and, th- and that's my point. Anything that's good enough to stop an RPG, given that Russians are struggling to supply themselves with these more sophisticated anti-tank weapons, as long as the West can get even, you know, anything that can, you know, uh, resist an RPG and they can get them in volume and they can get them in, in a timely manner, that's my point. Because if you can imagine... You know, Ukraine's just gone through this incredibly painful period where they have absorbed all of these losses in the Donbass period, defending that pocket, which was designed to consume time, and they they and 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 absorb Russian troops, and of course that shortens Ukraine's front line, but it also shortens Russia's front line. So, you know, obviously the risk is that Russia deploys lots of troops in defensive positions into places like Kherson. And before they can do that, and before they can recruit new um, conscripts and things like that, uh, and before they can scrounge up, you know, weapons out of uh, supplies out of, you know, eastern Russia, uh, it would be best if we could just get anything on the ground for Ukraine that can be used to take advantage of the sacrifice they've already made. River. Yeah, we're probably going to start seeing here, if we're, if they're not already arriving, uh, the latest class of conscripts. I do not believe that their conscripts are not being sent to the front. So Russia's be, uh, uh, latest conscript class is beginning to reach frontline units, and they're probably going to be getting married up to all these like T-80s uh, we've seen pulled out of storage. The T-62 seem to have been sent initially to uh, LNR, DNR units, to pull more modern tanks away from them to give to Russian units to reconstitute for the drive on the Donbass. Now that that is effectively over, I mean, the dying's not done, but you're not going to have any major uh, breakout attempts anymore. Russia is going to be bringing up uh, its latest class of conscripts, so figure another 100,000 combat troops uh, between now and, say, the end of September. And so Ukrainian uh, Ukraine needs to figure out how they're going to conduct their offensive operations. I think I wrote a thread on this the other day that I think that Ukraine is going to try to operate its offensives under where it has an artillery umbrella, and instead of big sweeping movements, is going to do something more reminiscent of the bite-and-hold strategy out of World War One. Well, they'll find a, a unit they want to destroy. They'll destroy it, occupy a little bit of ground, and take a bite here, a bite there, and force Russians to try to counterattack to, to shore up their own lines and then impaled themselves on Ukrainian defenses. And, River, how many of these uh, older Russian tanks, like the T-62s, for example, um, how much of that has actually been seen in use by the Russians and not just on trains or on streets of uh, Militopol and the like? I have no idea. But not, not, not a whole lot, right? We've seen a few... Uh, being kind of destroyed here and there, but I just don't think that we've actually seen them used very much. Is it? Do you reckon it's quite likely that they're going to use them as sort of uh, dug-in uh, tanks only, as opposed to you know active tanks driving around doing tank stuff? Uh, I think they're probably doing tank stuff and dying. There's just the 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 Ukrainian forces, you know, in the Donbass and Kherson 
have way better OPSEC than the territorial units did up north. So we're simply not getting uh, the video footage. Uh, I'm sure southern Ukraine is littered with dead T-62s right now. And also, I guess there's this fewer civilians around, right? Than there were in the initial phases, so there's just fewer people to be taking, other uh, fewer other people that might be taking video. Exactly. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, Crypto Rose. Um, hi. Uh, I I heard you guys talking about uh, Russian tank armor and uh, their support, and uh, I saw a uh, picture yesterday of um, a Russian tank that was using rocks as uh, armor. So they had filled they had filled some uh, wire mesh with rocks and attached it to the side of the tank. Um, and in that case, I would fucking hate to be tank support because you're basically standing next to a giant claymore. Raver, you're our resident tank experts. What do you reckon? Yeah, you know, stuff like rocks and logs and, and mattress springs and stuff goes way, way back. A lot of people are under the impression that if you can get a heat round, to detonate away from the armor, somehow the armor is going to do better. Um, that's actually fundamentally wrong. Uh, you actually give that round more time to form its jet. The way slat armor works is not uh, the standoff. It's those slats are specifically positioned to design to crush the cone of the RPG hits. And without that, that copper plate, uh, inverted copper cone, uh, in the proper uh, uh, direction and the fuse itself, the round simply becomes high explosive. It's no longer able to form an EFP and then penetrate armor. So rocks, uh, yeah, it's going to be a giant claymore, and it's not really going to add a whole lot of protection to the tank. I would really hate to be a tank support, like infantry, uh, like walking right next to that tank if it gets hit. That'd be a fucking bloodbath. Yeah, that, that type of armor we've seen the Russians uh, using has been dubbed copium. It, it, it's all a way of mentally feeling like you've got a little bit more protection than you had. It's a cross between copium and hopium, I think. Yeah, and so real quick, Domin, if you'll let me have the bit in my teeth. Oh, Raver, we have nothing else to talk about. People can't even enter the space. This is going to be tank hour now. So just <laughs> keep on going. Well, I've, I've got a few minutes, so i got to eat breakfast and start getting ready for work. So the, the real thing for tanks is the survivability end. Uh, don't be there. Don't be seen. Don't be hit. Don't be penetrated. Don't die. Um, so that's how a tank survives. Obviously, if you're not there. Has, it, has anyone told Russia about this list of things to do and not do? Because I don't think they have. Lost in translation. Yeah, well, the, the, uh, good luck figuring out the Russians. So there's a YouTube channel, The Chieftain. This guy is is leagues beyond me. Uh, I'm 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 a plant bound uh, peon. He is a star traveling master of armor. I mean, that's the level of 